It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. What sold me to be in the sport was being surrounded by people, being active, being part of a team, and that camaraderie, and then bringing everyone in. Because like I, I know from experience that being an individual sport can sometimes be a bit of a head case (laughs) but being surrounded by 18 to 20 other young women in a squad you're helping each other build and be stronger and better individuals and you're all you've all got a common goal and you're working towards that together which makes success so much sweeter because it's not just a oh I did this it's we did this we did this all together and I love that we're thrilled to have Amber Merritt our first Aussie Paralympian on Shooting the Breeze. She's giving us a look into the world of the Aussie gliders on the eve of their Asia-Oceania tournament in Thailand, where the team is fighting for qualification to the World Cup in Dubai later this year. As one of the team's most capped leaders, Amber brings a heap of experience, energy and passion to the gliders as Australia looks to rebuild the team after a tumultuous few years. There are really exciting developments on the horizon, including their inaugural Com Games in Birmingham this July. Even better is her compassion and belief for her younger squad members on this journey, as well as the kids of the future, to understand and appreciate the complexity of people with disabilities, both visible and invisible. We had a ton of fun taping this. Enjoy the pod. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining my co-host Jacinta Govinda and myself, it's Amber Merritt. Amber, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting and to share the knowledge of wheelchair basketball is such an honour, So, especially from a player's perspective. Yeah, also, I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, so Amber, you're a, a veteran of Australia's wheelchair basketball program. So <laughs> why don't you just give us a bit of a rundown about the program itself and upcoming world qualifiers in Thailand? Ah, yeah. I'm an old girl, hence the veteran uh, title. (laughs) But um, yeah, so the gliders have been around for, I think we're now coming close to 35 years of celebrating the gliders history in um, Australia. And we've got a a tournament coming up, obviously world championships are at the end of the year in Dubai. And we've got a qualifying tournament to go and compete in Thailand. I actually, to be fair, I I don't know how many qualifying spots there are for the world championships. I'm kind of kind of player that just shows up and plays and worries about the details later on. Um, 
unless we're in a bit of a bad position. So, yeah, it's a very exciting time with a lot of development players. Um, I'm pretty excited. Hey, dinner's ready. (laughs) (laughs) It's my part. (laughs) She's just poked her head in. (laughs) Hilarious. Uh, You're all good to me. That's it. We're keeping it real here. I mean, I love her. (laughs) So she's a sports nut too, by the way. My partner's mum, Janine. She loves the Wildcats. She's wearing a Wildcats top as we speak. Oh, maybe don't tell her that we're Kings fans then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Keep that between us. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, where were we with the gliders? So it's a very exciting time. We've got a lot of development players coming through at the moment, especially with the number of retirements after 2018 World. So we're definitely in a rebuilding patch of our careers um, and getting the girls back onto the world stage the way they deserve to be. I mean, we, we followed the wheelchair campaign at the Paralympics pretty closely. I know that in some circles they were looking at the performance and kind of going, oh, really? It was, but as you said, it's a rebuilding phase. And the reality is that the wheelchair basketball, and to, I'll be honest, I didn't really understand the complexities of the sport until I had an opportunity to have Jana Misens and Darren Alley on as we were talking through the campaign and really got to understand that the level of complexity around the point score for all the players and how you can only have so many points on the court at any given time and everything else that goes around it, it's it's quite fascinating. And obviously it makes it a more complex process to rebuild your team. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're limited on the amount of girls who are participating in this sport around Australia. There was a time there where there was only two girls in my classification and then we built it up to four and uh, you know we're going through some reclassification stuff at the moment so who knows what's going to happen in the future but we're now trying to pull these other girls out of the woodwork even if they're really raw to expose them to this level of potential that they could have at an international level and hopefully keep them within the system so that they can succeed in a really good way with a strong team in the future. Because I know yourself started off as a swimmer and I know that Hannah Dodd has gone to the Paralympics for equestrian. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. A number of us have actually jumped from sports to sports over the years. Yeah. And so in when you're trying to uh, recruit more future gliders into the program, um, what's one of the, some of the things that you tell them, like to sell them to come to the program and to keep them in the program? We talk about team and shit. Like I came from an individual sport and to be honest, the way I was introduced into wheelchair basketball was from a position uh, where I was actually classed out of swimming. So I was told I was too disabled to be able-bodied swimmer, but I was too able-bodied to be a disabled swimmer. And I really couldn't find a place in sport. And I'm a very active person. And as a child, I was a very active person. So it was a very hard position to be in. And what sold me to be in the sport was being surrounded by people being active, being part of a team and that camaraderie and then bringing everyone in because like I I know from experience that being an individual sport can sometimes be a bit of a head case (laughs) but being surrounded by 18 to 20 other young women in a squad, you're helping each other build and be stronger and better individuals and you're all you've all got a common goal and you're working towards that together which makes success so much sweeter because it's not just a oh I did this it's 
we did this. We did this all together. And I love that. It's really interesting that you talk about this because and bringing people into the sport because that was something that Jana and, and Darren mentioned a lot. It's like there are lots of opportunities for people to get involved, particularly in wheelchair basketball, because of the classification system. Yeah, so because of the complexities of the classification system, I think when uh, like I meet people for the first time and I tell them about wheelchair basketball, they're just like, oh, but that's weird because you walk and then there's someone who's paraplegic and it just doesn't make sense. And then you explain the process. It's such a complex mathematical thing. And there might be like combinations that coaches want to run. So you might have a speed lineup, a height lineup. You might have a pressing lineup, a defensive lineup, an offensive lineup. And you've got to figure out where people fit and their skill sets can fit into those lineups and get the most out of those people and understand where their limits are and where you can push their limits. And there's so much opportunity when people get involved in this sport because you can start figuring out where do we place you in this program? How do we get the best out of you in this program so that you can fit in maybe four lineups or maybe you're in two lineups. So it it is a really interesting space, the classification, and also in a way that everyone can be surrounded by each other, understanding each other's disabilities as well and opening ourselves up to the realm of disability and the broad spectrum that there is of disability. Is the classification something you have to do every year or every tournament? So it is every four years. Um, they just kind of review your classification at an international tournament. It's very rare that someone's classification changes. However, in the past, so um, the International Wheelchair Basketball Federations are international sporting body, similar to FIBA. Mm -hmm. And then we have the International Paralympic Committee. And the International Paralympic Committee have their own set of classification rules. And then International Wheelchair Basketball Federation had their own set of classification rules. And in um, early 2020, the IPC came out and said, we've been asking for the last five years that you align your rules with our rules. You have not done that yet. And so we are going to be pulling wheelchair basketball from the 2024 Paralympics unless you adhere to them with the threat that it could have been pulled from Tokyo. Um, So, yeah. So then... IWBF went ahead. I guess COVID happened, so that meant that it gave them more time to be able to sort it all out. But, um, yeah, the IWBF went ahead and started looking at their high pointers, so the girls who are sitting in the 4, 4.5 classification range, and started reviewing what does it actually mean to be a person with a disability. Because in our sport, you could have a double knee reconstruction and play because as long as you can't play at a able-bodied level, you are deemed eligible to play wheelchair basketball. And now they're saying, well, actually, you have to have a level of impairment that makes you permanently disabled across the board. So a lot of girls actually got classed out. In the lead up to Tokyo, we lost two very strong players. One of them was part of our starting five, which was pretty devastating for us. And so we're now trying to rebuild from that. And we're still going through that review process. So At this coming tournament, a number of us are going to be looked at, including myself, um, which is an added stressor because Mm. we're going to this tournament knowing that maybe we won't be playing this sport for much longer or maybe we're in and out. We just don't know. 
hopefully our medical information and our level of disability helps with that, obviously. But they have also given us a grace period that those who might not get classified in can still compete at the World Championships at the end of the year. But then that's it. Yeah, I was going to mention because your is your classification of four point five. Yeah, so I'm um, a classification of four and a half, which is the same in level of classification as a below knee amputee, single leg amputee below knee. So did you feel like because you mentioned before you got classed out of swimming? So did you feel like oh here we go again? I'm going to get classed out of another sport? Yeah, there's definitely um there's like a PTSD to it. <laughs> like you're like oh no. Um, but I'm also, I, I've tried to keep myself very grounded through this process as personally, like this is obviously it's a very personal thing, but how I feel at the moment and how I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for it is like, I'm missing most of the muscle in the lower part of my left leg and I have a fully fused ankle joint because of my disability. I can't run because of it, unfortunately. However, I'm also, I've had a really good career. Like this is my 13th year at an international level with the Australian gliders. We've won a silver medal in London. I've been part of a rebuilding focus with the the new girls coming in. And that's been incredible, being a mentor, being a leader. So if it was to happen, I, I think I could walk away and go, hey, that's great. Like I've had a really good career and I'm really proud of everything we've achieved. It's really bloody devastating, but it's okay. Life goes yeah. on. Um, however, there are probably other girls who are in very different boats because they're new to this sport and it could happen to them. And it's kind of like, well, where do I fit? But there's always opportunities. The two girls that were classed out in the original assessment, one of them has actually gone on to continue coaching our junior programs, which I think is amazing because you're keeping them in the system and Basel Australia are doing a really good job of keeping these girls involved to make sure that they're assisted and can contribute still. One of the points that came up when we were doing our Paralympics shows was that there seems to be we could do with more coaching staff across the board to try and bring people up through the ranks and, you know, so have have people who've had that international experience start teaching people, teaching new athletes what's expected, what's coming down the pipe if you actually make it up to the gliders level. Yeah. I think it's really important um, that we not only look at rebuilding teams but we look at rebuilding staff as well because Sometimes you get to a point where there's no coaches or like you look at reviewing a coach and they go, okay, we actually need to bring someone new in. But then they go, well, what's the pool? Do we have a big pool to pick from? Who's putting themselves up for contention? Have they been around for long enough to know this team and understand what the process is? Um, So it's really important that we also do the work as an organization and as a, a unit to build coaches up and teach them whether it's in junior development ways and then slowly progressing them into more senior teams and assistant coach roles and technical coach roles. And I mean, that's how our national coach now, he's been involved with us since I think 2015, 2014, 2015 as a technical coach. He's sat there and watched hours of video till 4am in the morning and understands this game better than anyone I reckon as a coach because he sat there and he's analyzed so much video and sat there and clicked all the buttons to make sure that we have the video to to watch and scout from so I think it's really important that we keep that development going as well and even in referees and score bench like there's so much work that can be done in our space 
Yeah, it's it seems to me that the ability for the the gliders to be able to get back up there into metal contention, it's kind of there. It's like all the pieces are are there. We just haven't quite put the whole puzzle together. Yeah. Yeah, and it, like a thousand-piece puzzle takes months sometimes <laughs> to do. So <laughs> I think we got to – like I try and remind myself of that as well because I was very fortunate when I came into a team that I was part of a very successful team. I was part of a group where girls won bronze in Beijing and then they went on to – um, a world championship, which I was part of the world championships in 2010 and we came fourth. And when I when that happened, I had no understanding of why being fourth was devastating. I was like, oh, we've lost a game. And it broke people's hearts. And now I get it because there is such a rich history of success in this program. So, but it was because of the work that was done in all the years before that to bring us up to that point. And unfortunately, we didn't qualify for Rio, so we have to restart all that work for the future development of our girls. So I'm I'm in the headspace and I, of the understanding that I might I might not be part of a medal winning team for the rest of my career, but we're building these girls and giving them the infrastructure and the knowledge so that they will be a medal winning team. And by God, I will be cheering the hell out of them when that happens because I love them more than anything in the world. So you're planting the seed really for the for the rest of the program. And so hopefully yeah. at some stage you'll get to, you know, reap the benefits and see how much the program has grown from yeah. putting in all of that hard work. Yeah. And every step is such a, like, I think not qualifying for Rio was a big reality check, but it was also like a point where we could appreciate every part of success afterwards because you've hit you've hit the bottom you're like well we're not going to a Paralympic Games and that sucks because we're missed but then afterwards it's like oh we've we've won this game and we won this tournament that's a big stepping stone oh we made it into a world championships amazing that's an even bigger stepping stone so every stepping stone is building to that journey and that story of success for these girls and I'm I'm so proud of them and so what are the, some of the lessons? So you, it sounds like, yeah, you've, you've started really young with a really successful team and now you're one of the um, true leaders in an emerging team. So what are some of the lessons you're taking from the time when you were a younger player on the roster with a very successful team into the, into the next gen? I think because times are changing in how we communicate with people as well and how people adapt to the communication that you give them, I'm a big nurturer and I want to instill into these girls what I learned from the senior players when I was younger, but I also want to be really compassionate to their learning process and kind to them as well because I also have to understand their points, their, their standards, I guess, at this point and keep pushing that boundary to get them to be better and better and better. So it's a slow process, but it's also a really important one. Um, and there's patience. You have to exercise so much patience <laughs> um, as a leader. And I think sometimes, like, I think back to the times when I was younger and girls would get really frustrated at me and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to exercise a lot of patience. And I'm trying to make sure we give that space to those girls to make sure that it, they know it's okay, but also put a little bit of pressure on them so that they understand the severity of this sport and the intensity that it can get to. Yeah, yeah. you can't be nice all the time. No. Uh, and expect good results sometimes, right? 
<laughs> you do sometimes have to be a little bit of an a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also on top of that, I mean, you know, it's a tough sport. Like some of those games that that I watched during the Paralympics, <clears throat> like wow, there's there's a lot of banging going on. Oh yeah, up and down the court, and because it was like I really watched a lot of games. The number of times that people were ending up on the floor. Oh yeah, it's your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. just how, how do you convey to people coming into the sport, to, to girls coming <laughs> into the team in the early stages, that exactly how rough and tough it can be? Um, you kind of have to let them experience it a little bit. <laughs> like you kind of have to be like, you're going to get hit. I'm really sorry, <laughs> but it's okay because you can also <laughs> hit back. Um, <laughs> like. like on my own personal like journey, I used to play with the men. And I remember being like a tiny little 15-year-old and seeing Brad Ness at 110 kilos just line me up and smack me. And I was like, well, I'm going to do it back to you. <laughs> That's what you do. And when I meet girls and they're like, oh, I don't know if I could play this sport, I was like, what sport do you get to smack someone and not feel bad about it? Like, honestly, like where do you, like obviously not spear tackling someone to the ground. That's a, absolute flagrant foul but um like you can hit someone if you want to out of frustration and walk away and be like, oh, i'm good <laughs> like i i made a, i made a joke a number of years ago because i'm i can foul pretty hard sometimes and get in a bit of trouble with my coaches um and i did request with one coach i was like can i have one testosterone foul a game please they're five fouls let me just have one testosterone foul and he looked at me and he's like what do you mean I was like if I'm just having a real like if I'm not here I was like and I just want to hit someone can I and you won't yell at me <laughs> and he was like oh okay just don't make it an unsportsman lie I'm like oh okay <laughs> like, in exchange I'll give you a double double yeah. <laughs> exactly it's a win-win <laughs> but um you know like I think girls, they do get, I think anyone actually, not just girls, but anyone in this sport, the idea of falling out is really scary. But once you do it, it's like, oh, that's actually not that bad. Unless someone runs you over or there's some serious injury that happens. doesn't happen that often, but, you know, it kind of shakes you a bit and then you're like, oh, I'm good. Oh, my team are there to help me back up. Awesome, which is a huge thing as well. Like we're always there to get you back up if you need help. Otherwise, we know that you don't need it and you can do it yourself. Yeah, that was one of the things when you were talking about it, I remembered the most actually from Tokyo was how quickly if someone fell or was out of their chair, how quickly everyone was ready to pick up their teammate and help them get back up again and off you go. But I also admittedly, anytime I saw someone down, I was like more worried that someone was going to run over their fingers or something. I was like, watch your fingers. <laughs> is that a thing that happens like even though it's a, someone's full body falling on the ground out of the chair for me I'm kind of like oh no that, that's okay but I just had this thing in my head that someone's going to run over your fingers yeah sometimes like I think most people are pretty conscious when someone falls out of their chair like don't go near them sometimes people do go near you and you kind of have to just tuck yourself under like you have to stop drop and roll <laughs> like, you're like, oh. um, I can't say I've seen too many people get run over on purpose. Um, sometimes, like, it's an accident. 
and to be honest, you don't even realize it's happened. Your hand gets rolled over and you're like, Ugh, crap, that hurt. Um, get on with it. Like that's just part of what we do. And yeah, the hits and the, it's part of, it's the fun part of the sport. Really, it's the fun part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally selling me on that, to be honest, because as I like, when I kept playing as I was older, I found the fun parts was like wrestling for a box out or a seal underneath and that physicality. I'm like, that's the fun part. Yeah. Yeah. I like like I like pushing my body. And I think that's one another way to sell it is like, despite your disability, how far can you push your body? Like, what, where's your limit? And, oh, if that's your limit, where do we take it to now? Like, what can we do with our bodies that no one else can do in the world? Because we are all very unique individuals because of our limitations and our unlimitations. So let's see what we can do and be excited by that. Celebrate it. The other thing that, that really fascinated me, because apart from the fact that, you know, you guys get really rough and tough, <laughs> the way you actually use the chairs to make your defensive ability a whole lot more than what it would be in some ways for, for the able-bodied athletes. Because particularly if you're kind of getting a, a few of the players to kind of work together, you end up being able to cover a whole lot more floor and make it a lot harder because then, you know, people <laughs> have to try and find a way to get around you in their chairs and it seems to be much harder. Yeah. So I love a full court press line. That's something that is just like a really fun defense to do because you start, you literally start a line of five wheelchairs. There's one in the middle and then it builds out and everyone's got each other's back. And instead of like just trying to hit a chair, you are slowing the opposition team down to get to the other side of the court, like to the other end of the court, just by keeping that line together it's like a little wall of wheelchairs that you have to try and beat and the the level of communication that has to be done for all of that to happen the chairs like you know defensively like you never front up is one big thing because as soon as I face someone with the foot plate of my chair it's harder to turn so you're always going from 45 to 45 with your back to them you use the sideline as another defender the baseline as another defender and also like your dead spot at the halfway line and you've always like you always protect each other's backs because you know that person can see probably more than you can at the time because you're focusing on defending that person and pushing them to another way the way we use our chairs is is pretty special and every chair is so different again because they're our legs they're designed to to be one with our bodies so my chair would not fit someone with a different disability to me or even someone who's got the same disability but a different body makeup um so it is really special and exciting and i i yeah the way we move them is pretty cool <laughs> do you travel with an occupational therapist to keep your wheelchairs in check i wish <laughs> i wish i had a mechanic <laughs> i'm really good on the tools no <laughs> um, that's what dads are for actually <laughs> um no it's part of the territory i think is you have to learn chair maintenance and fixing and unfortunately there are incidences that happen where you end up at a tournament and your frame's being cracked in your wheelchair because of airlines and stuff and that has happened luckily the times it's happened to me it's been on the way home not on the way there um but i have had teammates have chairs break on the way there and stuff and it's pretty it's pretty scary nothing like a bit of duct tape 
Uh, at most major like world championships, they do actually have a mechanic there that you can take your chair to get spot welded and stuff. At a Paralympics, there's a company called Ottobock. Um, they're a German-based company, and they have a full workshop for every sport. So if someone's blade during a run loses a screw, they can take that in and free of charge Autobot fix it up. They're really good. And they also help people from third world countries, which is my favorite thing about the Paralympics is there's so much humanity in what goes on that people don't get to see behind the scenes. And I I love that. But in terms of our own chairs and when we travel, um, we all have our own personal toolkit. Mine mainly consists of cable ties and ties. <laughs> cable ties fix everything. Um, and we do most of our own maintenance. And you can get them in bulk at Bunnings. And you can get them in bulk at Bunnings. It doesn't look weird when I rock up and just ask for cable ties and some rope to fix my <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like I promise it's for my, for my wheelchair toolbox. I swear. I swear. Uh, see, what amazes me is that that the chairs can get damaged like that by the airlines because, you know, again, during the Paralympics, I, I learnt what your chairs are made of. Is they're made out of titanium. They're made out of sort of the sort of metals that just don't crack. It takes a serious effort to damage them. And so hearing that, you know, they're coming off a plane and they've been cracked by the airline, it's like, seriously, guys, what are you doing with these chairs? <laughs> Oh, I would love to know. I would love to go behind the scenes and like sit there and figure out what's going on and see how they put like wheelchairs. And not because like as an athlete side of things, but also someone in a wheelchair who uses a wheelchair every single day, they put their day chair on the plane. There's the risk that it's going to get damaged. That would suck. You go on a holiday in a wheelchair and then you come out and like your foot plates cracked a little bit that's going to ruin the trip already because your mobility has been taken away from you. So I, I, I would, I would put it out to Qantas. Hey guys, <laughs> like, I want to, I want to see behind the scenes. I want to know what goes on. It is one of those things that is uh, just one of the risks of traveling with a wheelchair, I guess. And some airlines like Japan airlines, they bubble wrap our wheelchairs. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or they put it in a giant plastic bag. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, big shout out to Japan Airlines for that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to get a wheelchair bag and just like pop it in. I think that would be great. <laughs> um, but yeah. They kind of take for granted too that a crack in the foot plate, whether it's a wheelchair for sport or a wheelchair for your everyday mobility, is actually a big deal to the person using the chair. Yeah. My last chair, because it cracked, so once you crack titanium, it cracks most of the time afterwards because the metal's been compromised. I had to explain it to a number of, like, it cracked, I think, in total, like, 10 times before I got a new one. And having to explain that every time to an airline to be like, hey, this is permanently damaged now is really challenging. So, yeah, it's interesting. Well, the One good example to use is, so, guys, how good is the plane going to fly if I crack the wing. (laughs) I will say like a lot of airlines now are a lot better with it and they actually reimburse us. So if the damage does happen, most of the time they jump on it pretty quickly. 
now and they do look at like reimbursing us the cost of a wheelchair and get a new chair made for us but it's taken a long time to get to that point i think but you know that's a nice little bonus it's like hey you've broken it thanks for the new wheelchair and what um what opportunities you've been because you've been part of the gliders program for so long and what opportunities has that kind of platform given you to be a bit of an advocate for people living with and play with disabilities and playing um you know, at the Paralympics and things like that. I did notice on your Instagram that you were on top of like Optus yeah. Stadium or something, was it? Yeah, I got the call up to um, be the first person um, with a disability walk and then roll on this 42-metre high platform over the grounds. And the Minister for Disability of WA and the Minister for Sport and Recreation was also there, plus all the uh, venues west and venues live workers and it was really fun I did go up like 45 minutes before everyone else showed up so that I could just get all the profanities out of my body <laughs> and like <laughs> like just like not panic because I was so scared <laughs> I got the call up on Monday to do it and I did it on the Wednesday and I said to the girl who contacted me I was like you are so lucky you called me on Monday not a week ago because I probably would have said no <laughs> because I'm not about sitting there freaking out that I might fall off a building. Um, but with with sport, and I think this goes across every sport, whether it's para sports or able-bodied sports, you get to a point where you realise that sport is just a small section and that we are there is so much more to it. Um, how we advocate for each other, how we advocate for others, how we are seen in the public eye, but also how we help people, um, how sport helps people, I think is really important. And I that's I love that about sport across any sport that I've been a part of or anyone's ever been a part of is how much it helps people. And being able as an elite athlete to demonstrate that and be an advocate in that space and be at the level where you can have a voice, not just for yourself, but for others and to see other people with disabilities and be like, hey, I think I have something for you that you're really going to enjoy is so, so special. I like it's probably my favorite thing outside of sport, outside of being on the court and smacking people. Um, <laughs> it's the fact that like I can get a message over Facebook because like this is an example there was a mum in Sydney and I did a interview three years ago for ABC radio and it was like a storyline for Parasports and spoke about my journey with Clubfoot and the ins and outs of the disability and not fitting in one system but then finding a system that worked for me and I had a a, a mum actually contact me who heard it only three or four weeks ago and said that she took her daughter, who has bilateral club feet, to a come and try day. And now this little girl's playing wheelchair basketball. And that, like three years on, there's someone now who's been helped. And I didn't have to do anything. I literally just had to speak. That is so special. So, so special. So it's so much more than just playing sport and being an athlete. There's a voice there that's it's very unique. And I wish that everyone tapped into that because it's, yeah. But you say like you didn't have to do anything, you just had to speak and it's like but that is just so like poignant because I'm like, no, but that's the perfect thing to do. Like yeah. when you feel like you're actually not doing anything, you're just sharing your story and sharing something you believe in that you're advocating for. 
Um, It seems like something so small, but it's actually a massive deal to people just being a point of representation and like, you know, speaking your story and sharing your story. Like that's, that's a huge thing. So like when you say, oh, I didn't have to do anything like that. No, that's the the perfect thing to do. You do a massive thing. You you don't realise like how much your words can impact others, right, until you get such lovely feedback from someone on Facebook saying, hey, you, you know, kind of inspired us to get into wheelchair basketball. Like, that's amazing. I'm really glad that that mum reached out to you too because you never really know the impact of, of your words sometimes until you get that feedback. No. And even just, like, kids who are able-bodied, they get so excited by wheelchair basketball. Like, I, I work in retail and I have kids and they'll be like, oh, are you a hooper? because they're really cool and then I'm just like oh yeah like I play wheelchair basketball for Australia and then they look at me because I walk so then you can see the cogs in their brain being like what's going on here and then I explain my disability and I think it's the coolest thing ever they ask me to show them my foot like they think my foot is still backwards um but then I get to open their minds about the perceptions of disability and that it's not just a wheelchair and an amputation, that there's there's all these different variances of disability, which is really cool and unique. And then they start learning. And I think with youth especially, they're so impressionable. Like they're our future, really. So being able to open their minds and give them a greater understanding is only beneficial for the, the future of our generations. So, I, uh, yeah, it's special. It's very special. <laughs> Now, you just mentioned you work in retail. Yeah. Okay. What do you do? Um, So I am an assistant manager for a company called Stateside Sports. They are a NFL, well, they're called the House of Headwear in Australia. So we have a hat wall, but they also stock all US sport product. So Mitchell Ness basketball jerseys, current NBA title basketball jerseys, NFL jerseys, MLB, it's like the place to be for me because I'm like surrounded by sport. I'm like, ah, (laughs) win. But I also, so I work there five days a week and then I do one day a week at a local cafe. I've been with this cafe for the last 12 years since I was 17. Um, they, They were part of my journey in London. They've been part of my journey through not qualifying in Rio to now coming back for Tokyo my co- my my coach he's like my life mentor no my boss taylor he's my best friend one of my best friends he like messages me he's so proud of everything that we do he's a huge supporter of paralympic sports actually in fact when we were in london he sent me a message and said what's the likelihood that you're going to win gold or be in the gold medal game and i said i don't really know and he's like well i want to do an event at the cafe at the time of the gold medal game to support you girls and like show our community what's actually out there and who's a part of this community. So I can't leave that job and he knows that too. (laughs) (laughs) I've tried. (laughs) I have left three or four times and even when I've left, I've gone back to paint the cafe with him and do the renovations and I've gone in to help train staff. And so I do one day a week there just to stay a part of the family that we've been a part of for so long. Um, It's very, very special. And to have a boss that's so understanding of disability as well, who's just like, hey, he knows when I'm limping. 
that blows my mind. He literally looks at me walking and he's like, you're sore. And I'm like, you're right. And he's like, go take five, ice it up, come back out when you're ready. Okay. He knows me better than I do. So we can't let an opportunity like that pass. The name of the cafe and where is it? Um, so the cafe is called Cafe Elixir in Wanneroo. It's the northern suburbs. They do the best pancakes in Perth by far, in my opinion. Um, we do a lemon meringue pie pancake with homemade lemon curd and passion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sign yeah. up for that. <laughs> when we do a menu change, it's my favorite time of the year. Like I may only work there one day a week, but I'll make sure I'm showing up for all the food. <laughs> um, I'll order ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very, very lucky. But then on top of that, I'm also studying at the moment public relations and social media marketing because there is a life after sport and I need to be prepared for that, Uh, especially now that I'm getting towards the older side of being an elite athlete. (laughs) But when you say the older side of being an elite athlete, do you actually feel like you're slowing down or have any intention to slow down in your career? Um, I don't know. Like. Uh, I think one thing about I've learned about athletes is that we want to be really good. And so when we play sport, we're like, we're going to be the best we can be and we give it everything. And then when we get a job or a career, we're like, well, now we want to be really good at that, but I can't be really good at that and really good at that. Something has to be sacrificed. How do we, and when you're young, you're just like, I'm a play sport. That's my life. But then as you get older and like, I have a partner and you know we're getting towards that time in our lives where like we want to get a house and we want to have a family and we have to take all of that in consideration I can't be great at all of that stuff if I'm trying to be great at wheelchair basketball so I'm very aware that I will at some point have to sacrifice my career to be have a great life in other areas and I'm like I don't know when I'm ready to explore that my body is still good to go I've had a cortisone in my back a number of years ago. I've had some surgeries on my foot. I'm still good to play, but it's also knowing my mental limitations. I want to stay in this program till Brisbane if I could, (laughs) but I'm also like, is that real? Is that realistic? No. So I think when I start like exploring those other things, that's when I might have to start thinking about my retirement. Now, if you said that to me like last year, I was adamant I was retiring after Tokyo last year. And then I had a coach be like, if I go to Paris, will you go to Paris? And I was like, sign me up. (laughs) Okay. But I had one of the best tournaments I've ever had in Tokyo. And I saw the potential that I have when I give everything to this sport. So whilst I work full time and I'm giving another side of me to the other goals in my life, I'm still trying to give as much as I can to this sport. Um, And I'm proud of that. And it is a shame that, like how you said, you kind of one has to sacrifice for the other kind of thing. It's a shame that it can't get to a point where you can have both and both mm. at the same time. Like yeah. perhaps our male athletes can sometimes balance a little bit better in a sense. Yeah. Um, but I think it's all it's also okay though if you you know get to a certain point in your career, a different a certain age in life. If you just want to keep playing, I think that's also okay. Like we uh-huh. talked to Kayla Francis, and you know she's been also playing at a high level for a really long time. You know she went to the AIS and you know played mm-hmm. Australian juniors, and she's just been at that peak high level for a long time. And you know she's also getting to the age where people are like, aren't you going to retire yet? When are you going to have kids? And she's like, when I feel like it. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I yeah, think she, that's so important as well. She was pretty adamant about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved yeah. it so much. 
It's like you're just breaking that expectation of, oh, TikTok, get yeah. to that time, get to that age, you're probably pretty old. And I'm like, what? She doesn't show any sign of slowing down. Yeah, like, no. just keep and going. Doing well. Yeah, and if yeah. you feel good in your body, in your mind, and you're like, I'm going to keep going with this because I want to explore the options of how how good I can be, why not? Yeah. Why not? Well, hmm. actually, you brought up something really interesting. And I haven't really thought it through before, but when you have like wheelchair athletes, do you get less like your body can last longer in the sport than in able bodied? Because like you're not getting the physical damage to your body per se. You've got the chair around you to yeah. a point. So that means realistically you could have a much longer career than an able bodied player. You do. That is the potential as well. There's also a lot of people who don't discover our sport until later on in life because they might not acquire a disability or go through a trauma where they get a disability until they're in their 20s, per se, and then they might find wheelchair basketball when they're 25. And so they can go to a Paralympics when they're 32, 34. I think Brad was like 40-odd years old when he decided to retire from wheelchair basketball. He was a five-time Paralympian. I think the oldest player I had, um, in London in 2012, the oldest team member was 49. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, but um, even though our bodies don't take wear and tear from the aggression of the sport, our bodies take wear and tear from the physicality that we put into it of the sport. Yeah, Shoulder injuries are really prominent finger injuries and hand, wrist, forearm injuries, and especially for people who use a wheelchair every single day. They have to be really conscious of the pressure they put on their shoulders because if if you could imagine being a paraplegic and you use a wheelchair every single day and then all of a sudden you need to have a shoulder reconstruction because you've torn a bunch of stuff in your rotator cuff and that, you're now down to one hand to push around and to transfer. And we have to be very conscious of those things in our sport. I haven't really seen anyone retire because of that yet. Or maybe it's just been like, oh, they can see it slowly getting worse and worse. And then they're like, okay, I need to slow down and back off. But that is like a side of it that we do have to explore. But a lot of our players have gone through to be in their th- like late 30s, early 40s until they call it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You know, before we kind of jump off from basketball and talk about a couple other things that we want to cover, with these upcoming world qualifiers in Thailand, what do you think is a realistic expectation for the gliders? I expect us to qualify. That's a really realistic expectation. And, like, unfortunately, China's not going to be at this World Championship qualifying tournament due to the COVID situation and the lockdowns that they have in their own country. So I'm not sure what the IWBF's ruling is going to be because they were second at the Paralympics last year. So it would be a real shame for them to not go to a World Championships because of a government decision. So I expect us to qualify. In terms of the World Championships at the end of the year, I'm not really sure what to expect yet just because the way that things are panning out with the classification stuff is very different to what it was in Tokyo. And I'm not sure if there's going to be players that were in Tokyo that won't be there at the World Championships later on this year. Um, So it's very hard to tell. I would like to see us just maybe do that one stepping stone of instead of being ninth in the world, 
being eighth or seventh. I'm not expecting us to be top three right now, but even just jumping up the ladder one or two rungs, that's a win. I'll celebrate that. I'll have a beer to that. Like, that's great, (laughs) you know, because that means that we're progressing and we're progressing in the right direction. If we come 10th, I'll be asking questions because we're progressing in the wrong direction. Yeah. And between the qualifiers and the world championships, there's the Com Games. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> and so team, we haven't selected a team yet, but there is the first time that Wheelchair Basketball is featuring at the Commonwealth Games in a completely new adaptation of our sport, which is three on three. That, that's like, it's huge and it's so different. Yeah, it's invigorating. I'm like to even be part of a squad. Like I'm so excited thinking about it. If you can't tell by my giant beaming smile, I'm like, yeah. Just when you think like you watch five on five and you're like, yeah, they smack each other pretty hard. And you add like a 10 minute game where your coach can't talk to you. You have to do it amongst your players. And then there's all this other physicality and it's like, oh, it's on. Like, I'm like, yeah, let's go. like it's so exciting. But it's also challenging because that decision came in and obviously like it's still very new and fresh to us. So we're still learning a lot of things about this, this adaptation of wheelchair basketball, how it works for us because how we move and how we utilize our chairs and how we use them against the rules and stuff is very different and interesting. So there's a lot of work to be done in this space and it's very exciting. I'm yeah. Com games. (laughs) Have you played a lot of three on three yet? Um, we've played a number of games. Um, so America actually came across a few years ago and we, when Com Games announced that Wheelchair Basketball was being part, we did a bit of a, a, a thing with America coming across and we did some five-on-five five games against them and then we did a day of just three-on-three three, and that's when Com Games Australia actually did like a big event to celebrate that. But to be honest, we were winging it back then because we were like, we don't know what the rules are. Let's just play five-on-five. Like, like, but now that we're starting to learn and we just play against each other in WA, we've actually got a number of players who are in the squads, both men and women, which is really handy because we can all come together and kind of play against each other. And when we do that, it's, it freshens the daily in and out training up a lot more because you're like, oh, I'm doing something different, fun and exciting. I'm not just doing five on five. I'm now doing something three on three and there's a lot of banter in in the sport um banter is sounds like a very nice and diplomatic way of putting it (laughs) (laughs) it's not bullying it's banter (laughs) it's trash talk call it what it is emma (laughs) i am terrible at trash talk i have got the worst i'm like andy sandberg when he was complimenting everyone as they trash talk ropes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you hit that two points. You're amazing. <sighs> awesome reference, by the way. <laughs> Someone once told me, they were like, oh, you should do what Jordan does. And I was like, what? And he's like, just count how many points you've got. <laughs> I like Jordan used to like fire up and he'd just be like two, four, seven. <laughs> I could never engage in any kind of trash talk, whether it's, you know, like crowning points or actually trying to rip shreds off someone else because then I just put myself in a vulnerable position of looking like an idiot. So that's why I don't engage in trash talk at all. No, I just give people the look. I have like 
The girls in the Aussie team, like, I have a look apparently, but also when I, like, hit the basket, I, like, flip, do a hair flick and I get, like, a little sassy. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's in the body language. The body language speaks more than trash talk. Yeah, exactly. I like to let my game speak more than the actual mouth. So. Exactly. That's what I'm all about. Sign yeah. me up for that. Sign me up to that. Look at my stat sheet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think? The fact that it's a brand new format, that it's going to level things out because in, in the five on five game, the UK is really strong, China's strong, but because you're going into three on three, like you said, it's a 10 minute game, coach can't get involved in it, it's between yourselves. Do you think that's going to level out the playing field? I, I'm not sure because they've, they've actually had qualifying tournaments already. So the women in Australia, we don't have to go through a qualifying tournament. We've automatically qualified, I think. I haven't heard about qualifying tournaments, so I'm like, okay, we're going. We're going to chicken dinner. Um, whereas, like, I know over in Europe, they have had, like, Scotland, Ireland, and I don't think GB competed because GB automatically qualified because it's on their home soil. So I think there was, like, a little mini tournament, like, qualifying tournament and then there was a qualifying tournament in the Africas, I'm pretty sure, as well. So I'm interested to see. Um, I haven't watched a lot of the games, to be fair. I should probably do that. I'm the worst at watching video. You can get that on record. Sorry, coaches. <laughs> probably they might listen to this episode and be like, we know, Amber. We know. <laughs> I had one today. I showed up to training and my coach, I was like, oh, you put a message out the other day, like yesterday about needing two spare wheels for the player. And he's like, I already knew not to call you. And I was like, why? And he's like, I knew there were four busted wheels in the back of your car. He's like, you are not a reliable source. He's like, have you even fixed them? You go on Monday. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll get to it on like Sunday. It's fine. <laughs> I'm so blasé. And he's just like, I can't do like stressing out your coach. <laughs> it's what you do as a player, isn't it? That's your number one job. It's not just show up and play, but stress your coach out just a little. Yeah, exactly. Keep them on their toes a little bit. Keep Absolutely. them accountable. <laughs> so kind of steering away from basketball for a second, as we've seen before, you have a nickname. Uh-huh. Bambi. <laughs> the mug. <laughs> yes. So how did you get that? Um, so my name is Amber. Yeah. And there was when I started playing wheelchair basketball, people called me Amby. They were like, oh, little Amby. Because I was, I mean, I wasn't little. I was six foot one when I was 14. So I was like, <laughs> big lanky <blanking> bean. <laughs> but um, I then got the nickname Bambi because I resembled a, the deer. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm just all arms and legs like <laughs> I've got over a meter in legs and I've got a 196 arm span and like this wow. tiny little body so I'm just like <laughs> and then when I started playing I just was super uncoordinated I didn't know what a cross court was and so I did it like 10 times a game and I still couldn't get it through my fixed skull I was like <laughs> so yeah I got nicknamed Bambi and that stuck. And then a coach came along and he's like, I can't call you Bambi. It's just, it's too soft. 
He's like, I need, I need to get some aggression in you. I need to make you aggressive. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I'm going to call you killer. And I was like, okay. He yelled it like three or four times on the court. And I had to stop because it sounded like you were saying kill her. Kill her. <laughs> yeah. He was like, it sounds. And I was like, no, it's done. We need to drop that nickname. That is bad. <laughs> so then they called me Pitbull because they thought I was like a little Pitbull. But I'm. Again, I've got a 196 arm span. I'm not like a little nugget. I'm like a Great Dane. So, and I'm goofy like a Great Dane. So um, we settled with Bams. So instead of just like calling me Bambi on court, they call me Bams. Um, I feel like it's a nice progression because I've gone out of that young, goofy kid with the fountain hair that you see on the embarrassing Googles. <laughs> no, but yeah. As soon as you said fountain hand, I'm like, yep, I yep. know exactly what Bambi's referring to. You got to shoot as high as the fountain. That's the rule. Like, yeah, it's like this. It was, it was like Lisa Simpson's spike, but then he still had like a fountain ponytail as well. <laughs> that stuck for a long time. So one thing about that phase, they were like Bams. Bams is sticking. So. <laughs> And Bams is cool too because it still has the origin story of Bambi, but Bams is kind of like what you like to do the best on the court is bam and bash into people. So it's got like that kind of onomatopoeia, if I want to get really technical, kind of quality to it. Bam, bam, bam. Just like Bam Bam from Flintstones. Yeah. Yeah. It's still weird. Like if I hear like my coaches call me Amber, I feel like I'm that. It's like when your mum calls your full name, it's like, Amber Jane Mary, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <And> I do. <laughs> so when my coach is like, Amber, I'm like, oh, I'm in the shit. <laughs> and he's like, oi, bams. I'm like, okay, we're good. We're good. And a side note, if you, I don't know if you watch SNL or just a fan of Andy Samberg, but uh, there was an episode years ago when uh, Dwayne <laughs> The Rock Johnson hosted and they did a skit. And he was Bambi, and it, he was yes, yes but he was like big, tough Bambi. So Bambi can be tough. It's out there. It's it's been conceptualized. Yeah, we have a rule in the family um, when we do family Christmas. My mum, she always gets me something that's basketball related and something that's Bambi related. And one year she won Christmas by getting a pair of Nike SB Dunks. That were Bambi Nike SB Dunks. Whoa! I was the coolest kid on the block. I wore <laughs> them to buggery. They were the best shoes I'd ever owned. They were like, they were brown and they had Bambi fawn fur and a oh. pink. Oh. Have you she still wore- got them? You've got to keep them even if you can't wear them anymore because they're, you know, worn out. Nah, they got moldy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wash machine. They're fine. <laughs> it was real bad. Um, it's still good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Considering I use my feet when I play sport, I have a good shoe collection. <laughs> they stay fresher for longer. <laughs> they're investment pieces, really. Hmm. Yeah. I just got the um I just got the Rick and Morty Lamello ball shoes. Oh, awesome. Where the ones like uh fluoro yellow, one's fluoro orange. Yeah, it's like red green. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're awesome. They're awesome. I'm just a big nerd when it comes to cartoons, so I had to have them. Yeah, I think that's going to go all the way around here. Yep. Yep. The big nerd. Bambi <laughs> the big nerd with a big fountain ponytail. <laughs> 
Because I reckon there's a lot of basketballers out there who are actually big nerds and big dorks when you get to the core of it. But we've just got basketball. It's a really cool sport to, uh, you know, cover the, the like <laughs> as the facade, right? Yeah, no, really yeah. cool. We play basketball. But when I go home, I'm watching anime and Bob's Burgers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bob's Burgers are so good. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't watch Bojack Horseman without hearing Bob's voice. <laughs> or Archer or Archer. He does all of them. Oh, so good. Yeah, okay. see no judging from us. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But what it does do, it gives me a great hint for the typical oddball question we ask every guest that's totally unscripted. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. If you could be any cartoon character, who would it be? Oh, other than Bambi. Oh. And why? I feel like, I mean, I can't say I'd be Rick Sanchez because I'm just not a drunk scientist who just like, <laughs> who like pulls out real random lines. Um, I don't know. Ooh, that's really tough. Okay, no, this is, and this is a real, like, left wing. Like, this is, so my partner's a real metalhead, and he got me onto a cartoon by Adult Swim called Metalocalypse. I've heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a character in there called Toki, and he's, the character is based off of um, the lead guitarist for Children of Bodom, Lexi Laho, and he's just like, he just says really random things. He's like, oh, hi, my name is Toki. I slips in and out of diabetic comas like this. And he carries a stuffed, he's like this metal musician, but he carries a little stuffed teddy bear around. And I feel like that's me because I can be a little bit hard, but I'm also really soft, <laughs> a really soft human. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I hope everyone goes to Google that character now. <laughs> yeah. uh, they will. They absolutely yeah. will. They will. They <laughs> also it's just a great cartoon. Like it's such a good show to get involved with. It is not PC. There is some very inappropriate content, but it is great to switch off to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Amber, I gotta say, it's been so much fun. We've had a great Thank time. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, it's been a great laugh. Good luck in Thailand. Thank you. You know, we'll be keeping an eye on what's happening. I'm sure it's going to be available somewhere on YouTube for us to be able to watch the games. And, you know, obviously, you know, Com Games coming up not too far off, actually. It's July, so it's it's only a couple of months. All this stuff swings about so quickly. Yeah. Like, I remember when the Paralympic Games got postponed, I was like, ugh. Another year, like this is a joke. And all of a sudden it was like, I'm going to Paralympics and now I'm on a plane. Like that came by so quickly. So that's just the cycles of sport, I think, as well. It's been it's really, it has been so much fun. Um, I can't wait to keep an eye on what's happening and what goes on. And best of luck for you and the team in Thailand. And um, we're definitely going to be watching as much as we can. Awesome. I'm so excited. I hope everyone watches as much and hopefully this has given a bit more insight from a player's perspective absolutely okay amber thanks so much for your time thank you guys have a lovely night shooting the breeze can be found on apple podcasts google podcast 
Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.